Welcome back to the Adventure Mechanics. I'm Devin. I'm Chandler. And I'm Tom. And today we're here with part three of the Morrowind Trilogy. And this part is Morrowind in Context, specifically with the next two games in the Elder Scrolls series, but perhaps with uh, other things, whatever comes to mind, or I think we have many thoughts on this topic. Yeah. If you're curious about the earlier games, what was it? Um... Daggerfall and Arena. Yeah, nobody in this group has played it, so we're just going to kind of gloss over them. Yeah, I've played maybe like 10 minutes of each and just not enough to really, really comment on it. So uh, we are specifically talking about the ones that uh, we we have played. Yeah, so we don't want to do those two games an injustice, but we won't be talking about them in this particular podcast. If you do want to force us to uh, subject ourselves to Daggerfall or Arena, you know, you can uh, message Chandler on Twitter. You know, at some point, somebody's actually going to take you up on that, and I'll be like, who the fuck is this? (laughs) 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 Why do you want me to talk about Daggerfall? Oh, right. Oh, right. Uh... I know who to blame for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll be a fun discovery. Please surprise me. So yeah, if in case you're coming to this in part three, there are two parts before this. Uh, One where we talk about Morrowind itself and then the story of Morrowind, uh, that's part two. So you can go check those out if you want. I don't know if we'll be getting into story spoilers. Probably we will for Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim. So just be warned if you have somehow not played those and you want to, you may be spoiled. Or you could just do what I do and completely forget that uh, you talked about a particular game until you've experienced it and then be like, oh, that was the game that I was talking with somebody about. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. always that's, that's, that's also an acceptable way to do that. So yes, to, here we are. Morrowind came out in 2002 and Oblivion came out 2006 and Skyrim came out in 2011 and basically every year subsequent to that, as far as I know, to present day. <laughs> I was about to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And probably will come yeah, out again. Yeah, it's going to keep coming honest. out and coming out. There is no Elder Scrolls Six. There is only Skyrim. <laughs> Including yeah. more and more uh, uh, community patches to make it more and more stable. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> And adding things that you just go, okay, does this really, does this really warrant a $60 price tag? I, okay. I totally needed that prey (laughs) helmet in this game. Yeah, totally needed that. We needed to add all the Morrowind stuff to the anniversary edition because, you know, Morrowind, people love Morrowind. So we should put Morrowind things in Skyrim. I understand the desire to do that, but game developer side note, if you're going to tease somebody with an older game, just remaster the old game in your new engine, please. Yeah, yeah, just just stop. Just stop it. Any listeners probably guess where my opinions fall uh, on this picture about Skyrim. We'll get there. We'll get there. So the big thing that I think happened, well, one of the big things, besides, I think there are kind of two big things, of course, you know, one big thing being like the way that the games industry moved and progressed through time. And the technology getting better and more technology being available to do bigger and better things. But also, as far as fantasy stories go in video games, something really, really big happened in 2001 during Morrowind's development. It has to do with rings? Yes, it does have to do with rings. Yes, perhaps the one ring (laughs) to rule them all. Oh, 
God. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I you get it. Get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, what? You're like, wait a minute. We talked about this before we started recording. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Tom's just like, I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just because you were paying attention does not mean that the brain is smart enough to make connections. <laughs> that's that's the problem. <laughs> or alert enough, maybe is more oh, accurate. that's amazing. Oh boy, but uh, but yes, the <laughs> the first of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy films, The Fellowship of the Ring, came out in two thousand one, and according to the uh, oral history of Morrowind, uh, which is on Polygon dot com, and we've been using that. Uh, I say we, me and the mouse in my pocket, have been uh, using that as a source for some quotes from the developers on Morrowind. Apparently, Todd Howard saw you know Fellowship of the Ring and went, "Okay, we're doing that for our next game. We're doing traditional fantasy." And so that had a big effect on where the Elder Scrolls series as a whole went, because Oblivion is very much traditional Western fantasy, in uh, contrast to Morrowind, which is something very weird and very different and full of bugs and volcanoes and uh, <laughs> other, other strange, less straight-up traditional Western fantasy-looking stuff. And this is the one context where bugs doesn't mean issues with the game <laughs> yes i in this context i yeah, mean right. actual bug creatures like <laughs> really big beetles and strange things of that matter i gotta say that's pretty much in line with bethesda games in general though they tend to follow what's popular like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i know now bethesda is more associated with fallout than interplay or previous owners before that but like Fallout was pretty popular when they bought it from Interplay at the time and made it into Fallout 3. So mm -hmm. they they do know how to chase fads. Yeah, Fallout 3 was that Yeah. Was that 2008? Was it? I, I it was a couple years after Oblivion came out, I think. Yeah. That sounds right. You're very close if you're not, you know, yeah, I... accurate. Dead Nuts once again, October 28th. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know some things. Is it helpful information? Absolutely not. But I do know it. Apparently, it's helpful in this context. I gotta say, being able to pull a release date of a game over a decade old <laughs> off the top of your head is friggin' crazy, amazing, I... crazy. Yeah. <laughs> gotta Thanks. say that. <laughs> I, you know, after we're done recording, I'm gonna forget all of these dates. It's just gonna go out of my brain. It'll be like, well, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> at least it stayed in through the podcast yeah yep. yeah but yeah and, and i mean like and, and with most media like they do tend to be fad chasers like you see that with books you see that with you know films um and, and other things as well it's like if something's really really popular you can guarantee that there's like now a whole subgenre of books that is just that like twilight happened for example uh you know and was very very popular and then suddenly everything is paranormal teen, ro teen romance with like any kind of paranormal mythical or legendary creature that you could possibly think of it just saturated the market it's true there's a actually funny game design strategy there of know your niche uh -huh. and one example um i'll see if i can find the talk and put it into the uh show notes but one example of finding your niche in a game design was actually using erotic novels as an example and they went into <laughs> what what you would have to put on the cover of a specific erotic novel to get your niche right and one of the examples they had was like 
Highlander with bear midriff is a very specific bear or something like that erotica or werewolf erotica. And there was uh-huh. like three different uh, subgenres in that. And yeah, like I feel like Morrowind kind of didn't really do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as we've mentioned, I think it was in, was it in part one? I don't, I think it was in part one where we talked about uh, like the history of coming up with it is that Morrowind didn't start out as Morrowind. The Elder Scrolls three started out being set on the Somerset Isles and it was very traditional high fantasy court politics and stuff like that. And the team just kind of found it boring. It wasn't really interesting. There wasn't really a hook there that made it really interesting. And then uh, Michael Kirkbride apparently like was like, hey, let's do this weird thing instead. And uh, then they did that weird thing instead and it became Morrowind. Then so they w- hmm. went back to high fantasy with Oblivion. <laughs> yep. And then they went back because, and, and granted, like, you know, I'm picking, I, I feel like I'm picking on Bethesda a little bit by saying, well, you know, Todd Howard saw Lord of the Rings and was like, well, we better do that because that's super cool. Everybody did that. Lord of the Rings came out and it was everybody True. wanted to do high fantasy. Uh, you know, a lot of high fantasy came back in, you know, published fiction, right? Like that came back. Um, it Not that it ever went away, <laughs> like in books, but, True. you know, it, it was just like the, oh, there's a desire for this, you know, and the market forces and capitalism being what it is, is like, let's just milk that for all it's worth. So like a lot of a lot of things did that. You had a bunch of films that were trying to follow that success and didn't do very well. So, uh, you know. But yeah, Lord of the Rings made high fantasy mainstream, basically. Yeah. And, and you know, and Lord of the Rings 2 was considered like an unfilmable story. Like, this, these are books that are unfilmable. You could not adapt them. They just have to stay books. And Peter Jackson proved that adage wrong, that you could make them, and that there was a desire for fantasy film, you know, uh, and, and other t- kinds of fantasy story. That being said... Uwe Boll's In the Name of the King uh, Dungeon Siege story Mm. is unwatchable, but hilarious at the same time. Kind of proving the point that uh, some stories don't make a good translation. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I think think if we had, like, a a dollar for, like, every fantasy film that came out post-Lord of the Rings that just was bad, like, (laughs) you know, that just didn't do it right, um, we'd have a lot of dollars. Um, Uh, No doubt, no doubt. I I mean there there were very 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 many uh, I think but yeah and I mean you know Tolkien just generally is a hard act to follow just in the fantasy genre yeah I could see that yeah but yeah so that kind of like uh, set the path for Elder Scrolls back on this traditional Western fantasy road and we get Oblivion on top of that I I believe it was a you know updated engine I mean, it looks very different from Morrowind. Yeah, a whole other uh, monstrosities that they call characters. <laughs> oh, yes. Very, very, yeah. Like, very cartoony in a way that is, I mean, if you've played Oblivion, like, you know the Play-Doh faces in the character creator. You know the Play-Doh faces <laughs> of NPCs as you just wander around. Like, somebody whips around when you talk to them and they're like, hi! And, like, their face is, like, all scrunched up in their big pumpkin head. Uh, You know? <laughs> It was a thing, but you know, the, uh, the landscape was very beautiful though. You get some really great vistas looking out where you could see the Imperial city. If you had the, uh, computer to do that or you were playing on the Xbox. Or you're playing on Xbox, which I was, uh, you know, which, you know, it it crashed on Xbox 360. It sure did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I, I feel like the Play-Doh faces were definitely a departure from Morrowind, but yeah, I'm not sure it was an improvement. 
I, yeah, and, and you know, it, it, and I think like with graphics, it's always going to be a certain taste. Like they were, I think, intending to move more towards photorealism, but you know, you end up with this sort of, like I said, this more cartoony type style, which is very charming. <laughs> is an improvement. I think that's just up to your taste. You know, I, I got <laughs> yeah. used to it. I, I played, uh, I, I, probably of the Elder Scrolls games, the one I've played the second most is going to be Oblivion. I have played it a lot. That's it, even with it, all all the crashes and everything on the Xbox and including like the duping exploit, which you make like a million cabbages and crash the game and <laughs> wonder if you're going to brick your L- Xbox. Wait, so you are you saying that you've played Oblivion more than Skyrim? Yes. Oh, that's yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, my opinions on that. But I have I have played Oblivion more. And it was, it was fine. It was a fine story. You know, it's okay. It's just, you know, traditional fantasy story. Got to defeat the evil bad guys and do <laughs> do the things. And of course, you know, they had Boromir himself voicing a character. Who dies. Just who dies. <laughs> Spoilers. Just, just <laughs> I mean, it's Sean out. Bean voicing him. Like, you know he's going to die. <laughs> I remember joking about that uh, with friends when that game came out. Like, oh, well, is Sean Bean's character going to die? Oh, of course oh. he is. Well, I kind of liked his character, though. And then also there's sort of like a, it's kind of thought to that Oblivion has like some of the best side quests in the whole Elder Scrolls series, which, uh, yeah, it's got some pretty good side quests. It definitely went much more towards the uh, theme park style of design as opposed to Morrowind, which is more of a... Everything is so in your face, you're going to have to spot away even asinine, tiny side quests. Because on your path, it's so tiny, you're just going to run into something. Oblivion felt more like you're just doing a theme park. Oh, I'm going to travel to this city, and I'm going to steal this random horsey because I can. Yep. Oh, yeah. Bounce was a really big deal, having, you know, the ability to ride a horse across, you know, Cyrodiil. Um, Fast travel was introduced, so you didn't have to walk anywhere if you wanted to, which is that an improvement? Yes. But I feel like if you need fast travel, to kind of paraphrase Tim Rogers, if you need fast travel, your slow travel sucks and maybe you need to work on that. (laughs) I actually think that um, if they kept it with a limited fast travel option like they did in Morrowind it would have been a lot better because mm-hmm. the open fast travel although convenient is an admission to your player that you're going to be losing time and you're just going to be wasting yeah. it in the world yeah. and you don't yeah. really want to send that out but yeah I guess I'm in the minority here on that my opinions being in the minority I agree I think like you know fast travel is very convenient But like I can say from playing Oblivion and Skyrim, like I just reach a point in the game where it's like, it just feels like a waste of time what these quests are doing and where they're leading me. It's just a waste of time like that. I just have to do this. Whereas I think if there was a more limited fast travel where like, you know, you have to go and pay a dude to take you somewhere as opposed to just like, I'm just going to go to the map and click the button and I'll just pretend that I walked that whole way. I don't know. Like, again, like it just, it's like, yeah, like the game is kind of telling you that you know, what we're making you do is wasting your time. Just just fast travel to turn in the quest, right? Yeah. Like, this is indicative of Skyrim, too. Like they Oh, just, God, yeah. They just took that whole cloth and just threw oh, it yeah. into Skyrim. And oh, I feel yeah, like but... Morrowind did it a little bit better with, yeah. you actually have to use resources. Granted, the resource yeah. cost was, like, nothing. But yeah. you still had to use something to get somewhere. Yeah, and you still had to, like, get to a place to be able to fast travel to where you needed to go. Like, if you didn't want to walk across the whole island, 
you still had to walk to a town that had a way for you to like take a silt strider or a mage's uh, guild or a boat somewhere. Yeah, and and to hop off of your theme park description of Oblivion, which I think is very apt, gone are the restrictions on quest lines that you can complete. You can basically complete the whole game. Um, you can do all of the factions. Uh, you can become the the guild master of every single guild, and it doesn't matter. Whereas in uh, Morrowind, if you happen to be listening to this and you haven't played Morrowind, uh, that is basically like not really a thing you can do. There are conflicts between different factions that will keep you from completing all of them. Given enough time, you could probably do a bunch of them at the same time, but there are some that, like, like for example, the Thieves' Guild and the Fighters' Guild, I don't think are compatible as written. Because if you join one, you kind of become an enemy to the other, right? Uh, yeah, like, there's, like, a quest line uh, for one that means that you'd have to break the rules of the other. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, if you break the rules, they kick you out. So, Which makes sense. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, it just it just makes sense. Like, and it's also, like, sort of a, you know, there's more, I, I guess, like, kind of a, you know, role play and replay value. Uh, if, it's, yes. if it's like, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that your character would be like the head of the Fighters Guild and the head of the Mages Guild and the head of the Thieves Guild and the head of the Assassins Guild. And, you know, it, it just right. sort of weird. But Oblivion kind of took it in that, you know, as Chandler said, theme park direction where it's like, yeah, you're the hero of Kavach. You've saved the world. You've done all this. Uh, but you can also be the Guild Master of the Mages Guild and the Guild Master of the Fighters Guild. And you can be the head of the Dark Brotherhood. And you can do this. And you can do that. Um, and then the DLCs come out. And you can be, uh, you know, the Divine Knight guy, uh, I guess. <laughs> also, you can go to the Shivering Isles and then become Sheagorath. I feel like some of those should just be jealous quests. Like, if you're doing this, you're committing your entire character's life to that. And yeah, I feel like that was one thing in Morrowind that made it more evocative as a role-playing game because you had to commit. And yeah. Yeah, a yeah. lot of things that you do in the subsequent titles just don't yeah. do that. Yeah, and in every every one of those decisions is like when you get you get presented with something, you're like, shit, this is going to change the direction of my character. Yeah. Do I want this? Yeah. I don't know. I can't go back after I do I make this decision. Mm-hmm. And in, That's compelling. Yes, <laughs> I agree. And mechanically, Morrowind had certain skills tied to certain factions. So if you didn't have high enough skills in the skills that that faction required, you couldn't progress. Mm. Like, you know, if you're like, oh, well, I, I went all in on fighter stuff, but nothing on magic. Like, you're going to be working real hard to get your magic up. Like, it's not impossible, but you're going to be spending a lot of time. The game is clearly saying, like, your your skills are set in a certain direction. Like, that's what you chose. Right. And that's the direction your character is going to go. Right? Like, as a roleplay thing, as you said, this is going to change the whole direction of my character. Not only, like, character-wise, narrative-wise, but also, you know, mechanically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, you get kind of it's something you want, but you get put into a box, but it means that you actually have to think about everything yeah. that you do. Mm-hmm. No one is going to, in real life, is going to become the best at literally everything. Yeah. You're going to have to spend a lot of time focusing on one thing. You'll get very good at that one thing, and then probably a lot of things are going to fall by the wayside in the process. Yeah. yeah. It makes it help. I think it helps with immersion. Mm-hmm. Well, and even people who are good at a lot of things, like, they put a lot of time and effort in that even if you know in real life yeah. like you know even if they are talented in one direction or another like you still put in a lot of work to be able to do these things so it, it does have that verisimilitude with real life where it's like yeah like you spent all this time training to be a swordsman uh you never did any magic like it's gonna be pretty hard if you want to pick up magic you're gonna be spending a lot of time 
doing like the basic low level spells just to like get to a point where you can cast something interesting like a fireball right Mm -hmm. and if you do that you're not developing your swordmanship so you're falling behind on that so now you've got half of both you know things which Mm -hmm. might mean that you're not effective in battle where you get into the uh weird leveling of oblivion or skyrim where you just end up being under leveled because the way you were playing you weren't playing optimally which Mm -hmm. is present in morrowind but it's very very clear in oblivion that if you're not maximizing each and every level you're getting put behind and it feels terrible Just take that difficulty slider and push it all the way to the left. <laughs> like, <laughs> negative 100. <laughs> yeah, I know that kind of comes across as like counter to what we've been saying, but it really is like if you're doing a theme park, you have to take the difficulty and accept the fact that people aren't going to be playing your game optimally. And mm-hmm. they kind of did that in Morrowind because you could play suboptimally and still feel competitive with uh, every creature and monster that you were fighting but in oblivion if one of your main combat skills was your main skill it would feel like you were falling behind every time you leveled and it felt absolutely atrocious yeah that was like the weird level scaling with the tr- with the creatures yeah that's what you're talking about we're like yeah. you know you'll be running around in the in in the wilderness uh forever um, and just meeting wolves, and then you'll reach a certain level, and then suddenly there are no more wolves. There's just fucking minotaurs everywhere, wasting your time as you're trying to get where you're going. Mm-hmm. Or worse, uh, if you wait to do the main quest, so you don't go to Kavach. You're doing other things. You're exploring. You're role playing. You're doing a bunch of stuff, and then you're like at level twelve and or fifteen or whatever. I don't know exactly what level it was when this happened to me. <laughs> No, no bitterness there at all. Uh, you go to Kavach, and, you know, if you go there immediately, like at the very beginning of the game, there will be like scamps and maybe a couple, uh, the the clan fears, uh, the little like dinosaur looking things, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of those, but mostly scamps, easy to deal with. If you go at a higher level, it's suddenly danger spiders, it's Drabora, it's the crocodile guys, <laughs> you know, it's just all high level monsters that you just like struggle to get through because they're what's the fantasy equivalent of a bullet sponge Um, (laughs) and it doesn't and it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel good and it was uh, a little disappointing to be like oh really like because i'd noticed in the wilderness that things were changing that there were different animals and i wasn't seeing wolves anymore but it it was just like oh is this going to be like the whole main quest for me is just like all of these high level monsters and then you go through the oblivion gates right and it's just all high level monsters which is like, oh, but you're, you know, high level difficulty, but it also sort of like from a uh, aesthetic texture sort of point of view, it's just, it's so very samey. It's like, whereas Morrowind, at least you could like wander off the beaten path and run into something interesting, but still see Nyxhounds and rats and things like that. At the same time, it's like, oh, there's an Ogrim just, you know, here on this ridge. Oopsie daisies. <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, it felt like the higher level monsters were a genuine threat and they weren't yeah. Replacing the yeah. uh, lower level monsters entirely. Yeah. You'll still run into the squibs. Yeah. Like that's a thing. And yeah. doesn't matter what level you are. Yeah. No, I agree. And I feel like the humanoid enemies feel the same way. Like in Morrowind, 
some of them are very, very difficult. And then you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I can fight man or mare. It doesn't matter. I'll just go into this uh, smuggler's cavern and I'll just fight them. And you just may have wandered into the wrong neighborhood because now they're like just whooping your ass even after you thought that you were doing so much better and that you were, <laughs> you know, you can fight people now. Whereas like, you know, in, in Oblivion and then parentheses also in Skyrim and parentheses, it's just like you can just take on whoever. There really yeah. isn't any, oh, this guy's so difficult. It's just like, well, I fought one Breton, I fought them all. You know, it's like, ah, another Nord. <laughs> Have at thee, you know. <laughs> I guess that's the reason why Oblivion didn't feel as good for lack of a better phrase mm-hmm. it's because it didn't have the feeling of progression that you normally get in rpg mm-hmm. i know neverwinter nights came out afterwards but in that game if you leveled up in a given area you would still be able to kind of like go to other sections of that area and still feel like oh now things are slightly easier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i feel like when they kind of cranked up the leveling system from Morrowind to whatever ridiculous degree they took it to, they kind of lost sight of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do this, and yes, is pushing the players to play optimally and take the fun out of the game, but it also, you're playing a role-playing game, and a part of role-playing is an occasional power fantasy. And yes. Oblivion doesn't have that because you're always treading water with that same level difficulty. And it mm-hmm. is kind of immersion breaking because like, yeah. you see a standard villager just walking around and you know that in the w- high level world that you've made it, that villager is dead in one hit from any monster like 10 feet out of their village. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have that in Morrowind because... Everything was already, like, dangerous. And, <laughs> yep. oh, well, these villagers are pretty tough because they live in this place. <laughs> yeah, they live here. <laughs> right. <laughs> where everything's, di- you know, just everything's really mean and wants to kill you. So uh, they're pretty hardy. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and uh, with the DLCs, I don't remember, like, I remember a little bit of the story of Knights of the, I- of the Nine, but I don't remember there being any real big difficulty issues. But Shivering Isles came out. And it had monsters, you know, in, in the Shivering Isles that were difficult. Like, they upped the difficulty for all of those things. Again, they're basically, you know, the fantasy equivalent of bullet sponges more than anything. But, you know, it was pretty difficult and it made sense because this is like, you know, end game content, right? Like, you know, this is the last DLC. Uh, it's supposed to be special and, and weird. But there was no progression within that. It was just like, you go here and these are just the monsters that you're fighting, right? Like, you didn't start seeing anything new. Once you'd seen everything that that DLC had to offer, you'd seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And which was really disappointing because I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, Shivering Isles looks like it's going to be weird. It's going to be something different. It's going to be doing something different, kind of like Morrowind did, right? Which for me is like, cool, yeah, I want to see something different, you know? And, and like, and I was enjoying Oblivion at the time, you know? Like, I, I didn't think it was terrible or anything, but it was just like, oh, you know. I do want to see something different. I do want to see something that's not just like, you know, Western high fantasy. I just want to see something more interesting than that to me, which, you know, aesthetically speaking, it definitely was different, but, and, you know, <laughs> but it was just like, oh, okay, I am here. I've seen what there is to see and I'm kind of done. I don't need to see anything else, which is, uh, you know, something that the games afterwards, which again, I think is somewhat, you know, time and technology and money <laughs> limited, Morrowind, I can still play that and find 
things that I've never seen before or places that I've never been. And that's not true of Oblivion or Skyrim. You know, once once you've seen it, you've seen it. There may be like a cave or something I've never been in before, but it doesn't have the same mysteries that you could still potentially run into or find. Yeah, well, I mean, when, when everything is kind of scaled to match where you are, it all feels kind of all the same all the time. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I think, one of the main things that made me not enjoy Oblivion. Mm. It just, it feels like a drag. Yep. You're like slogging through the game. Mm. There's something kind of fun about a game like Morrowind where you're like, you know, it starts off and you're, you're, you're terrified because almost everything on the map can just completely decimate you. So you've got to like pick your battles carefully and work your way up and gain skills. And then like you get to the point where the thing, you know, it's on the flip side where you can just, you can just slap every monster to death. <laughs> and it, it's like, you get that, it's like the reward for all that hard work. You get that like, ah, oh, yeah, I earned something. And when everything progresses exactly kind of like with you, you're just kind of like, okay, why am I working so hard? Yeah. yeah. What, what difference does it make? Yeah. <laughs> you know? These yeah. supposed swamps feel exactly the same as right around the Imperial capital. Why, mm-hmm. yep. why do I need to care? Because there's only so many monsters that can be in that range, you know, that you can fight and, and have it be a good challenge. So you end up encountering those monsters all over the place. Instead of feeling like you're discovering locations, you have this, like, dead world and these enemies that are at an approximate correct, quote-unquote, level just appear around you. And it feels like it's happening to you, not you are exploring the world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Although that does bring up i end up in game dev mode way too much but that does bring up a like an interesting idea of what if the world is leveling around you and only around you and whenever you walk into a place you're just causing chaos right because you're (laughs) that'd be a fun game right like if you're gonna do the everything's power leveling and you're treading water why not just take it to its logical extreme like that it could be really funny and yeah, you can end up with just almost anime levels of hilarity, I think. But <laughs> All the villagers are like, go away. <laughs> Lord, welcome here. Last time you were here, our village burnt down twice. We didn't even know you could burn a village twice. <laughs> My cabbages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect example right there. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, and... And I'm going to kind of shift us towards Skyrim here, you know, moving towards 2011. Um, Skyrim learned some lessons from Oblivion, I think, like, you know, as a a team, you know, there were some lessons that they learned. Uh, Mm -hmm. They got rid of that weird level scaling thing with creatures. So that's not really a thing, but it is even more of a theme park. And they went too far on the power fantasy side of things. And I agree. At the same time, it, it was also, I believe, I don't have any evidence of this this is just my observation i also think that it was influenced by media and it's like elder scrolls by way of game of thrones gritty grimdark you know yeah. leaning aesthetically towards the photorealistic which the whole games industry was going anyway it, but like it's gritty grimdark hmm? and it's still yeah. yeah sorry uh but yeah yeah, no, you're good. Uh, but gritty grimdark, trying to do plots of political intrigue, and uh, also at the same time this like mythical force that comes from the the age of myths and legends 
to destroy the world, right? Like it's it's just you know it's Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's it's like you know very very to me very obviously influenced by that and does it poorly. <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> uh, you know can't speak for anyone else, but in my opinion, just you know and again like you know once you've seen it you've seen it all but yeah it just it goes a little too hard in the power fantasy direction also at the same time where it's just like once you start leveling i mean this is this is the game with the jokes of like you know if you level your sneak to max you could just like stand around in full light in front of enemies and they won't see they don't know you're there yeah yeah yeah, they don't they're like well that was strange like oh it must have been the wind and you're just like "Hmm." And you're just crouching. <laughs> you're like making faces at them, like standing right in front of them, uh, you know, which, you know, does make for some funny moments where you're just like, oh, no, that person saw me and you crouch and then suddenly it's like you disappeared. Yeah. It's, it, but yeah, just like too far where it's just like, okay, now you can just cleave through enemies. It's the main quest throws you into this place where you just have to go through this whole outpost of people that you just need to cut your way through. And yeah, you could just do that. You've leveled up enough. There you go. Have fun. Have fun cutting people up, I guess. <laughs> also, here's DLC where you could build a house. Also, here's the DLC. You remember Morrowind? Oh, you love Morrowind, right? Like, you love Morrowind, right? Like, well, here's the DLC that references a Morrowind and more specifically, like, you know, the Blood Moon expansion, except not really. <laughs> but- Dragonborn has some good ideas, but there was it felt very pandering to me, like as a Morrowind fan where it was like, Hmm, Todd, you destroyed Morrowind. Uh, you killed it. Don't bring <laughs> in the, the lore. corpse out again. <laughs> yeah. It's like you destroyed it in the lore. And then now it's just like, Oh, here's the DLC. That's just like fan service. you like, you love Morrowind. Right. And it's like, please don't, please don't like that. Doesn't feel <laughs> nice. It makes me feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And this is, and this is, this is why I did. I have not played Skyrim as much. Like it just, you know, after I finished the game, you know, the main game, before any of the DLC came back, because I obviously went back and played because of the DLC, because, you know, who who doesn't do that? Uh, <laughs> right. People with more willpower than me, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I finished the game, and it was just sort of like, well, I'm done. Which, you know, even yeah. with Oblivion, I didn't feel that way. It was sort of like, well, I want to play again. You know, I'll just make a new character and run around and do stuff until I get tired, you know. But Skyrim, it's like, yeah, okay. And occasionally I'll get the hankering to be like, well, I wonder what Skyrim feels like to play today. And, you know, I'll install it and I'll play it. And then after two hours, I'll be like, well, that was a good two hours, you know, just hanging out, uh, time to uninstall. You know, <laughs> it, it just, there's just nothing it just the the writing isn't as good and it's it it brings up it has like ideas that it's like it clearly wants to play with this idea of like you know empire versus you know like the empire versus the stormcloaks the province deserves to self-govern right like we should be free of imperial you know edicts and stuff like we we should we should be able to govern ourselves but at the same time the stormcloaks are like kind of awful people uh you know very very fashy like get rid of all the non-humans and make it nords only Let's make Skyrim great again, uh, <laughs> which you know aren't bad ideas, but they just don't d- do anything with them in a way that's just not like surface level. Like the only way to win the faction war is to not do any of the quests in the faction war, and it just just is in the background, I guess. Um, it's kind of like at the end of the main quest where the blades are suddenly like, ah, well, there's one dragon, and you have to kill that dragon. It's Parthenax. He's a war criminal. 
and like you've you've spoken to Parthenax, voiced by the voice actor who does Mario, so thumbs up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love that guy. Anyway, it's like you know, see, you've talked to Parthenax, and he admits he's like, yeah, I used to be a war criminal. I did all these bad things, but I I've seen the error of my ways, and I'm you know trying to do something better, and you know use my powers for good. But it's up to you if you want to kill me or not. Like I leave that up to you, and it's just sort of like what the heck and that it doesn't like give you the choice in the quest like the only way to win is not to do the quest and it just sits in your inventory you know your quest journal as it, it just sits there being like you have to kill parthenax to complete this quest and it's like no <laughs> what yep. that's like what are you doing at the same time like all the blades like through the entire like storyline you're just like my my dudes like you really need to think about what you're doing right like I get it. I get it. Like, there are these stories and this old stuff that's coming back to haunt everyone, and it was magic that nobody understood. But can we, like, put some actual thought into this instead of just being like, oh, you hero, you go do thing? Well, it's part of the amount of risk that building a larger game like Skyrim. I'm yeah. just going from, a, like, a technical standpoint here, but mm-hmm. a larger game like Skyrim necessitates a larger budget, right? So. Yeah. You can't do anything really adventurous with it if your financers are breathing down your neck saying, this better make this amount of money for us or we're killing your entire studio. Mm -hmm. And you don't end up with more adventurous stories like you would find in Morrowind or, I hate to say it, even in Oblivion. Mm -hmm. All of those edges that somebody could get bruised by or scuffed by those get polished off so you end up with the blandest experience and the from my perspective the worst ui of any elder scrolls (laughs) series and i'm going all the way back to like their first ones that were a mimic of dungeon crawlers (laughs) yeah but that's just my opinion on it no yeah no i mean i mean really in capitalism ruins everything capitalism (laughs) not compatible with art truth it's a which is you know i won't get on that soapbox that's a whole it's a whole different discussion but absolute like and i know looking at it that it's like you know a lot of people put a lot of time and a lot of years of their lives not just the years that they worked but like the years that were taken from them by crunch and not being able to sleep and eat regularly and you know things that they you know lost uh not being able to be with their families you know they put a lot of that into a game that people really like and continue to spend money on to this day, the year of our Lord, 2022, uh, yeah. with a consecutive every year, a different release of Skyrim, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it clearly like matters to a lot of people and people enjoy it. That's great. But a lot of effort went into it, which I certainly don't want to disparage. But uh, yeah, it's just you're absolutely right. And it's just sort of like a grim future to look at, like the market forces and the powers of capitalism uh, as a big umbrella term for all of that and seeing what it does to what could be art right? Like what is, I, I think video games are art, even if they end up, in my opinion, someone bankrupt by these processes. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, and it just kind of sucks. And I think that's kind of why it's like, I, I have a lot of bitterness towards Skyrim because there are really interesting ideas there that they just didn't have the time, the money, the space, or even the approval to do, to like really go into about some of these intrigues and what does this mean? And uh, t- time travel, time travel plot, like those ancient Nords just kicking the can down the road. <laughs> you can you could read a lot of things into Skyrim's story, especially as a in 2011 
you know, in the the Bush years, you know, post 9-11, there's a lot you can read into that, that like reflects, I think, especially kind of the the zeitgeist of the U.S. at the time, right? Uh, which I think is really interesting and, and why it just ends up being a little bit disappointing because it doesn't like, it just sort of like presents all this stuff as a, well, you're a hero, go do thing, go, go smack bad guys. Uh, and it feels a little sad, especially thinking about, you know, there is going to be an Elder Scrolls 6, uh, whenever that is, Skyrim 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> but what is it going to be? You know, I'm sure it'll look great. Uh, it'll probably be buggy as fuck, uh, because every game that releases anymore uh, is buggy as fuck. It's not just a Bethesda Almost thing. unplayable. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, but but what, I, I don't know. And, and, and if people play it and enjoy it, that's cool. That's neat. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this and you love Skyrim and you're like really pissed off that I am, am disparaging your favorite game, I love that you love this game. And I want you to continue to love it and enjoy it. That I was disappointed by it should not affect anyone else's enjoyment of it. Because like I said, if it was your first Elder Scrolls, like, you know, there's probably a good reason that you love it and had a good time with it. And if you're getting lots of hours out of it, cool. Uh, there's lots of mods, lots of really talented individuals making like really interesting mods for this game. The game that became the Forgotten City was a Skyrim mod, started life as a Skyrim mod. And they're redoing and, Morrowind in Skyrim too. Yep. The, 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 uh, the Skywind project. Yep, yep. There's that. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I and when I, when we say redo, it's different. It's its own thing. It's not a direct one to one. But a, a lot of work and love has gone into that over years and years. Over more uh, time than they awesome. spent to develop the game itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's and it's great. But yeah, it's uh, it's just it's sort of I guess. Also, I'm old. I'm old and grumpy. And <laughs> back in my day. I just would like to see more adventurous stuff, but, you know, with the way that, as Chandler, you kind of said, with the way that the, the market kind of works and the way the reality of the industry is, like, that's just, you're not going to find a lot of adventurous stuff in the AAA space at this level. And the only way to really resolve it, I hate to harp on this, is to give up the illusion that we're going to be pursuing real-life visuals. Yep. Like, just accept that you're going to be doing low to mid poly cell shaded or something like that style and just embrace that for the weirdness and you'll end up with really interesting role-playing games if you're willing to give up that graphical fidelity mm -hmm. but it's a fact with like triple a games you're never going to do that because you got to push the pretty that's the only way that your game sells yeah according yeah. to triple a yeah they put they put all of their eggs in the um powerhouse basket if you will for graphical fidelity which you know if we look at it in terms of capitalism makes a lot of sense not only are you selling a big expensive game that game requires a big expensive yep. gpu and a big expensive cpu mm -hmm. and a big expensive power supply to run all of it and mm -hmm. lots of ram and or a whole new console everybody makes money yep yep <laughs> It's, uh, the reality is I genuinely think that gaming, as far as game play experience kind of hit like a point, it like peaked in some ways in like the early 2000s up into like early teens, mostly just because during that time period, the graphics got good enough. We kind of crossed a threshold where you could have immersion, but you still had lots of space for interesting storytelling. And now they'll spend 
you know, the amount of time that it would have taken an old developer to build an entire city, they will build one building because it's so incredibly detailed, which is cool. But it means the amount of resources needed to create those AAA titles has ballooned wildly out of control. Mm -hmm. And uh, you either make a game that is as deep as these old games are, you know, with the same level of storylines and the same graphical intensity of a modern game, but expect that it's going to take 10 years of development and the game is going to cost $300 when it comes out. Or you end up with Massive Crunch. You get a $60 game that's really pretty, but kind of... Bland. Deep as a puddle. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 You lose some of that spice that you get with the old stuff. So... Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. On, on that same track, actually, I'm surprised we didn't actually mention this, is the other direction, you know, with things going in the industry, on top of graphical fidelity, uh, fully voiced. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Morrowind is not fully voiced. There are some voice lines that are said, like when you walk up to a, a character, an NPC, they'll turn and they'll have like one line for you. Um, uh, you know, uh, Dagather has a bunch of lines. Uh, Vivek has a few lines, um, but it's not fully voiced. Oblivion, fully voiced. Skyrim, fully voiced. And, uh, you know, and then the old, <laughs> uh, that old chestnut of, you know, Oblivion and its three voice actors. <laughs> Skyrim oh, yeah. and its three voice actors. <laughs> well, since it wasn't fully voiced, Morrowind got away with it because you're like, oh, this is Bretonian voice. That's fine. I I know this yeah. is a placeholder. This is just the, as Tom said, the spice to let my brain put in those little details. Yeah. And I think not having the voiced gave the writers the opportunity to adjust the story as it needed to change through the iterations Absolutely. of game design. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you lock all your voice acting in early on, because you need to record 20,000 plus lines, you're going to be limited on what freedom you have to explore stories. And what kind of characters. Mm -hmm. Because it, with Morrowind, you could have very different kinds of characters that speak very differently and your imagination gives them voice. Whereas you have just the same set of voice actors. And not to say like, you know, some of them aren't very talented and tried to do different voices to give different characters different qualities. But when you, when you hear the same voice actors, the same handful of voice actors every single time, it, it bleeds together. You don't mm -hmm. get a lot of individuality with the different characters. Yeah, you don't get my buddy yeah. Fargoth at inside yeah. <laughs> or inside the intro town, right? It, yeah, Sedanin, yeah. <laughs> you don't get Fargoth characters when everybody sounds the same. And I, in Fallout 4, which is another Bethesda title, you end up with an occasionally wildly misread line where you're like, I don't agree with this but i don't feel super strongly and then your character's like what the fuck are you doing and it's like oh <laughs> yes holy oh my shit. god holy shit i did not mean that and oh. you, the reactions just end up feeling flat because you can't control yeah. it with all of the twisted web of voice acting that you've created for yourself yeah yep. yeah mass effect and, and, and dragon age 2 had that issue as well where it's just like you pick this option and it's just like you know what the fuck are you talking about you fuck nugget and it's like jesus like no <laughs> <Yeah>. whoa <laughs> like what like that isn't you know or you get a line that's like that was you know not only needlessly aggressive but like 
goodness, like that was a little bit, well, that was sarcastic and it wasn't marked as such, but okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. That happens a lot. Or yeah. It, and it, it breaks the immersion. Cause you're like, you're pulled into the story and you're like, I disagree with this. So I'm going to yeah. say the disagreement thing. And then yeah. your character just loses their freaking mind. Yeah. The other person, the NPC gets super pissed off at you. You screw up your whole like save file. Yeah. And you're like, <sighs> this could have yeah, been handled like, so what? much better. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Give me more options with some nuance. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you you know, and even then, like when you have a fully voiced game, like you're very limited on how many voice options you can you can have like how many dialogue options you have. Like uh to use to pick on Dragon Age for a little bit. Dragon Age Origins, the protagonist was not voiced. So you had like lots of dialogue options. Uh, usually when you were talking to a character uh, that, you know, go the spectrum from very friendly to indifferent to aggressive to sarcastic, you know, you would you would have those. But because the character wasn't voiced, they had room to do that and then tie those to mm-hmm. the voiced NPC lines and how the NPC would react, which sometimes you got like really interesting reactions because they actually did a voice line if you were very aggressive with this character that they reacted differently than if you said literally anything else to them, uh, you know, um, and uh, and so you can do that, and then you move to Dragon Age Two, fully voiced protagonist, and now it's like, well, we can't have six dialogue options every time. We can only Two. have three, and that's yeah. going to be nice, mean, jokey, which is actually just sort of asshole. Really, is how that comes across. <laughs> like Hawk is just a complete dick with the middle option, you know, like which I rarely use because it's just like, man, like it, it feels like there's two mean options here because right. it's either goody two shoes, like mean in a not nice way or mean in a, at least I, you know, am being direct about the fact that I'm being mean, you know what I mean? Like, um, and that's just, you just kind of, you know, lose that with your characterization of your main character when you start like, uh, I mean, in fallout, uh, fallout four, same thing. Uh, I, I know a lot of people talked about fallout four when it came out and like how wild some of the line reads are, as you mentioned Chandler, but then also just like, what are these options actually? You know, it's like, like, yes, no, <laughs> yes, no clarification. And then I'm going to say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to say no, but like an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's just like what, why, and that's just that's the trend, I guess. Which is kind of problematic, honestly. Like, yeah. if you're looking for a deep experience, something that you would hopefully find on a tabletop setting where yeah. you do get that communal um, improv that most D and D sessions end up feeling like, you can't. You have to allow your mind. To fill in the gaps and if you're going fully voiced like in skyrim or oblivion mm-hmm. you can't characterize a character yeah. in your own head yep like you have to characterize it through the voice actor they may be working their ass off to characterize and it may show in their delivery but fargoth in my head doesn't sound anything like fargoth in your head going yeah. back tomorrow right I feel like when you've got a game that's kind of on rails and you're telling a specific story, having all of the characters voice act, including the main protagonist, is not only acceptable, it's it's a good thing. It helps tell the story. But when you have something that's a little bit more open world where you're creating your own character and you're in charge of who that character is, it, it puts really huge limitations on that character and can kind of break your 
you know, you, you fall in love with your character in a way, you know, right? You become attached. You're like, this is my guy or gal. And when your character doesn't react to a situation in the way you want them to, it, it yanks you away from that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an unfortunate cause of all so, of this. That is an interesting point. Um, like the sandbox approach necessitates being a little bit looser with what you allow voice actors to do or not include voice actors at all. But that does bring up... A, yeah, and an inner voice makes yeah. sense. Uh, but that does bring up like an interesting point. Like You can still have an open game that's fully voice acted and end up with a very solid game like Deus Ex, the original 1999 release, right? Or 2001. So, somewhere in there. Um, 2000, I think. <laughs> I think it was 2000. I, you know, you're probably right. I'm, I'm not going to look I, it up because I will be shamed. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's 2000, but maybe... Not. Anyway, we'll just split the, split the difference. Okay. It's 2000. Um, but, like in, bomb. <laughs> but like in that video game, you have a fully voiced protagonist. Granted, you get to see what reactions you have in more detail, like... If you're asking clarifying questions, you see what JC is going to ask, right? But it's still limited the story that could be told. Like, you can't really go too far off the rails in that game. It does have, like, a spoken hub situation where you can go out, but you're always going back to the hub, which isn't an open-world game, but it does have a little bit of freedom and I feel like Skyrim kind of took that idea of a spoken hub system and just kind of went, it's all open and forgot to make it interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely. And I was thinking too about like the dialogue options and like, there isn't a lot that the protagonists in Elder Scrolls games say, like even in Morrowind, you, you, there are very few options where you actually get to, converse and select dialogue options to converse with a character Mm -hmm. you know in in that kind of uh in a a kind of conversational system uh and and, and that's true in oblivion as well there's very few times mostly you just like will choose like to ask about something or you say yes or no and in my mind it it has been a while since i've played skyrim last uh but i feel like even in skyrim like there's very even fewer times where your character like expresses that they say or think anything (laughs) Like, there's a few times where you can, like, say, yes, I'll do the quest, or no, I won't, like, you know, occasionally, but, like, usually it's just, like, you know, you just show up and somebody talks at you for a little bit, and then you're like, okay, I got the quest, by. Like, it, it's, like, <laughs> less, it feels like it was less and less and less, and maybe that's just, like, my perspective, because, again, it's been a while, I, I have not tested this, huh. uh, but it, it certainly feels that way. It- where it's just like your your character is an even more blank slate than before, and the world gives you even less ways to interact with it in a way that's like meaningful as a, a played character rather than just an avatar that's just running around, you know, in a world. It kind of goes back to the theme park idea, right? Like yeah. you don't want to get people involved in interacting deeply with a character because they're just supposed to be a vendor for quests, items, whatever, right? They're not there as the interesting piece. You have this set piece that you have to get them to on the top of a mountain with this dragon that you spent gobs of money animating, right? You don't want them focused on the small character moments. And Morrowind 
had the luxury of focusing on the small character yeah. moments mm-hmm. in context. Yeah. It makes a yeah. It makes a world feel very alive. Yeah. You yeah. know. You can ask questions. Yeah, I think a lot of modern games now have really lost some of that in that they've got these characters that are not meant to be interesting, but they kind of end up being inherently interesting anyway. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, you might look at some character, some random NPC, and be like, "I want to know more. I want to. I want to talk to this person." And there's just no options for that, and that sucks. Yeah. Well, it's like a DM. It's a DM issue, right? Like, I made this throwaway character. Yep. They only give magic spells out. Oh, oh no. The party got interested in them. What do I do? <laughs> you can't think yeah. about that in like a fully voiced situation. You have yeah. to think of everything beforehand and you can't improv. And a lot of the filled in details that you could get into in Morrowind were based on that. Like, oh, I can do this. Uh, well, let's talk to the writer and have them fill in that detail because that really feels like they should have something in there and you can they can hammer something yeah. up in like 20 minutes. It might not be great, but it's still yeah. there. You can't do that yeah. with a voice yep. actor because you have to bring them in for yep. four-hour stints and have them do everything they need and maybe you overwork yep. their voice so they can, don't even sound the same for the time being. Yep. Yep. You're not paying a writer for 20 minutes of writing. Now you're paying the writer for 20 minutes of writing. And voice actors, which tend to be more expensive, are going to be who knows how much. So yeah, you're, you're, your cost gets driven way up because it's not going to be one take. So it's not 20 minutes. It's hours potentially just to get things correct. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to implement all of that. And then you've got to match the lips, you know, so they move correctly. Oh my God. Like the, comple- the complexity just goes ballistic. You're not dealing with a line of code. Now you're dealing with an animation and a line of code and an audio clip. <laughs> like, and thankfully, yeah. a lot of that has been kind of cohesively bonded together, but that's still a level of complexity in your game that is going to be there that you have to account for, or you're going to end up with yeah. your panacea of bugs, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I think that this kind of is, is sort of an interesting comparison comparing like the open world RPG style thing that you know we've been talking about and then a more linear authored story uh, right. to say. Not to say that one is better or worse than the other, but it is certainly on the one hand easier with an authored linear story because you don't have to worry about all that extraneous stuff. Like this is the story that we're telling. This is the amount that you can talk to this character. And when you're done talking to that character, you move on and you go do you know, other things, right? Easier to get a handle on that, whereas you're trying to build an open world full of living people, and it's just like, yeah, um, how do you make it not all samey? Something could be done, like I think The Witcher 3 is a pretty good example of like uh, an open world that is pretty full of stuff and people and feels alive, mostly, that it feels better than other open worlds. But, you know, they started from like all of the little tiny details and worked to the macro stuff from there, right? You know? Uh, whereas, you know, usually it's the other way around. Here's our map. We need to put some stuff in it. But even then, you know, it's a lot. It's a it's a lot to write out and script and place and then record lines for. I feel like the Witcher series is still more authored than Skyrim is, though. Yes, it is. It is. It, you have an authored protagonist, Definitely. which is which is a huge deal, because even though you can kind of choose 
how Geralt approaches issues, you know, what kind of person Geralt is, you're still limited by these are the you are reasonable, actually... you know, these are the reasonable reactions that Geralt would have. You know. Right, you're playing R Geralt. Yeah, you're playing Geralt. Not... You're not playing your own character. Where right. you know, yeah, uh, which <laughs> is sort of like where it gets a little weird with other games too. Like you can choose, like you know, Dragon Age or Mass Effect, for example. Where would those games be better if you were playing an authored character, where you would get a certain story? And things wouldn't seem weird because as it is, you know, you're kind of playing and it's like, well, I get to play the character I want to, but the more it becomes fully voiced and the more like other processes and other, you know, considerations, uh, the less it feels like it is your character and that it should have been an authored character of some, some fashion where this is your backstory. This is the kind of person you are and you just choose that person and you play them, Yeah, you know, yeah. as opposed to being a blank slate. That does actually kind of bring up an interesting idea. Hmm. I know Grand Theft Auto San Andreas came out roughly around the same time, and it kind of straddled between mm -hmm. theme park and authored story, right? Mm -hmm. So you ended up with... Mm -hmm. It's true. You were playing as CJ, right? I think it was CJ in that game. Yep, you're right. In, in that story, you were still CJ, but you still had the theme park distractions, like, you could still do taxi missions, you could still do police missions or whatever. You could just drive around the city and have fun ogling the madness that happens in GTA. But it was still, a, <laughs> at its core, an authored story when you were doing the storyline missions. Yeah. And I, I feel like true. that's probably a little bit better of an approach than mm -hmm. trying to go fully voice acting and leaving it open. You're yeah. going to have to nail something down to make something work. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think what, what the GTA series does very well in that regard is that, yes, you are playing an authored character who has a specific story to tell, but it's written loosely. You know, CJ, what do, what do we know about CJ? Uh, he comes from, a, uh, you know, what is it? Green... Grove Street. Grove Street. Yeah. You know, he comes from Grove Street. He had a rough upbringing and he just got out of jail. Like, that's it. You're in charge of telling the rest of the story. You can change that character however you want within that little window of who he is. Mm -hmm. It puts enough of a box around uh, the, uh, the character that the writers can write a good story. You have one voice actor to worry about. You're not having to do a male one, a female one, you know, a big yeah. sounding guy, a little sounding guy, you know, like yeah. like all these different options for the, you know, the the player to choose from. Yeah. You know, you've got one person to, to do it and you've got a story to tell and you let the player kind of tell the in-between stuff only. Yeah. I think there's a good logic to that. Yeah, I think I think it's always going to, it has always been and I think it will continue to just always be difficult to manage a good you know open world role-playing game that is like you know trying to trying to emulate the tabletop experience right right where the tabletop experience is only possible because it is a bunch of people in real time interacting with one another where you have the dm that is authoring the npcs for you you know you're steering the story but you know the dm is putting the the guidelines on that and uh, I just don't see that there is a way that a video game can do that to the same extent. Like, you're, you're always going to run up against something where 
the writers just weren't prepared for that or they didn't have time for that or it, they just weren't thinking, you know, they're, they're just thinking like, well, no one's going to want to play an evil character. And, you know, so there's no evil options. But somebody's like, well, what if I want to be an evil asshole, right? Mm -hmm. You're just always going to run into that. I just don't think that there is a way it, with the constraints of reality. Like, <laughs> you know, we can imagine a world in which you could make an open world RPG that satisfies all of this. But it would take a lot of time and a lot of money, and ain't nobody in reality going to do that. It's just, well, and it's just there's kind big. of an example of that already in movie form. Uh-huh. <laughs> have you watched Free Guy yet? I have not. I have not watched that. Oh, you absolutely need to. That's basically what that entire movie is all about. Oh, well. And it's the, the whole concept is that someone come, a game developer comes up with uh, an AI system for NPCs. So NPCs feel very real in the game. Mm-hmm. But the NPCs sort of become alive uh, as a result. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Until we have the ability to create an AI that can dynamically respond to the player, you're, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not even that. Just like the constraints of a story. You know, like right. where you're, you're playing a game and it's just like, yeah, we don't, you know, we're going to, you want to play evil, you're going to be cartoonishly evil. And you're like, I, but my character wouldn't be like that. Like they're evil, but they're not cartoonishly evil, huh? you know, or whatever. Yeah. Or, or you're like, you know, I'm playing a, like, you know, a chaotic good character where like, I'm generally on the side of good, but you know, my character would never do this quest and the game is forcing me to do it because that's just how the game was built. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, the game was not built with the idea of refusing quests in mind. Or, yep. you know, whatever. Like, you know, you can come up with a lot of different examples. Just, it's, it's, there's no way you're going to be able to translate the tabletop experience close to perfectly to a video game. Like, you could get close. You could get close to, like, you know, this is pretty good. Like, I think there are a lot of, like, um, uh, some of these other games. Like, I, I haven't played them, but, like, Pillars of Eternity, uh, uh, Divinity, Original Sin, things like that, that I've heard, you know, satisfy that a little bit better because they they focus a little bit more on having writing that isn't voiced so they could do a lot more kind of like morrowind so that you you get all of this different a, a greater wealth of things that your characters can do and how they react and approach quests and things uh, but it's still not exactly like you're still constrained by the writing that exists in the game mm -hmm. uh, and what the writers intended or didn't you know. intend if they ran out of money and just needed to ship the game, you know, like that's always a thing. As well. Cyberpunk, what? Yeah, uh, huh? What? Uh, oh, bless you. I I think he sneezed. Uh. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, at some point, oh, you have boy. to put constraints on a story, and I feel like mm -hmm. I I guess we've been fixating yeah. on the voice context, right? But at the end of the day, yeah. we still have to put some constraints on it. And the more yeah. flair you want to put into your game, like, I don't know, hiring Sir Patrick Stewart, the more constraints <laughs> that you're going to end up having to put on your story. Yeah. And if you don't yeah. acknowledge those constraints and work within them, you end yeah. up with bland, boring stories like Oblivion and Skyrim, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do think that there will come a point at some point in the future, long way off probably, where AI will get good enough. And now that they've got the ability to kind of create artificial voices, someday we'll be able to have pretty dynamic interactions with NPCs and it won't all have to be pre-written. You know, they can put some constraints on an AI and let the AI tell the story. But that's 
a very long, long, long way yeah, off. We can't future. stop our AIs from getting racist. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like yeah. I, I kind of I like would part of me is like, man, I'd really love to see what that looks like and how that works in practice. But I just like I thought that, and then my mind was like, it just like smash cut to like you know thirty years in the future, somebody testing out this new AI for the video game, and like just continually talking to this NPC. Just suddenly, it starts going on like an anti-Semitic rant or something, and it's just like, hmm. <laughs> there aren't. That's not even part of this world. Where did you learn that? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh right. god. Uh, yeah, it's just. Ugh. Yeah. This, the, I mean, it's the way that technology seems to work. You always yeah. get these really cool perks of technology, and it comes with some horrifying cost. Yep. So well, I, mean... I have no doubt that that is a thing that is going to happen in the future. <laughs> yeah. well, Both the fact that there will be some kind of a dynamic AI and the fact that those AIs are going to have problems yeah well i mean what? we we built them human humans built them and human right. biases are implicit in that technology like it it's just a, a whole different discussion for a whole yep. different podcast but yeah why is there yeah. rush limbaugh in this fantasy universe oh my god yeah. <laughs> oh no oh no well, yeah. <laughs> well, and you were talking about limiting the story anyway. Like, DMs at a tabletop game, they also limit the story. Uh, it just doesn't necessarily feel as, like, you're, it doesn't... Usually it probably doesn't feel like you've run up against a wall mm -hmm. the way it does in a video game, right? Yeah. Like, if you, if you are beating against that wall, the DM is going to be like, dude, dude, it's just a pillar. Yeah. It's just a pillar. There's nothing special about it. You could stop. Move on. You could stop investigating it now. <laughs> It's going to become sentient and start attacking you if you don't stop looking at it. Come on. For, for why? Why are you so fixated on this pillar? Well, I, it, just the way you described it, it sounded significant. Oh. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Listeners, I'm telling on myself. I was that player and Chandler was the DM and I just would not leave that pillar alone. I thought that it... <laughs> I thought it contained some deep secret. Chandler's just like, you need to stop and continue on, okay? Like, there's nothing. In, there's more of the dungeon. There's nothing in this room, please. I can't read the other thing. That was when I knew I couldn't be a player. I had to be a DM. Not because he was doing a bad job, but just because, like, oh, God, I don't want to subject myself to other people as a player. <laughs> no. Oh. I've been on both sides of that fence. <laughs> So have I. I have also been the DM where, you know, people are just like, no. Or or like the NPC that suddenly they're very interested in, either because they think mm -hmm. that they're a bad person or, you know, they just love them and just want to, you know, take them with them on their adventure. And I'm just like, I didn't plan for this, but okay. I ended up having to play as a goblin that, that became part of the party for like half of the freaking... <laughs> campaign yeah. <laughs> for that it was yeah. just a freaking goblin they were supposed to kill him and move on he became an integral part of the story how do, how do you turn that improv into skyrim you can't you can't you can't yeah there's just no, no one way. can think of all those variables yeah. no one yeah there's there's just no way you can you can do it like you can get close like there's some things you can get close like if you know if it was a thing where it was like well you can approach this in two different ways you can either kill the goblin right out or you can get close enough to speak to him and then find out that actually you know he's he's just trying to you know feed his wife and kids and he's got 13 of them at home and do you know how many hours that takes uh you know <laughs> yeah. when gathering things out in the woods you know sometimes you just you just got to steal a cow sometimes you just got to break into someone's barn you know i didn't want anyone to get hurt but i just got to feed my kids and you go huh <laughs> 
okay. I don't want to kill you anymore. Yeah. Well, kind of like, you know, the <laughs> Witcher the Witcher approach to things where it's like, you know, maybe it's an evil creature, but maybe it's also not an evil creature. Like, maybe there's some nuance to this, you know. Um, you could do some of that, but you can't do it perfectly. You can't just be like, oh, right. well, I'm going to collect this goblin and take him on my adventure now or whatever. The game won't <laughs> let you do that. They just didn't program that into the game. Yeah. Or they did. So, but if they did that, then maybe they had to cut, you know, something else elsewhere in the game. You know, mm-hmm. Right. So we didn't mean for this, but I think what we just did is made a very long advertisement for DD <laughs> or role playing in general. <laughs> role playing in general, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If if any listeners have never played a tabletop role playing game, I highly suggest it. Um, it's fun. It's fun. Even if you if... like video games, it's yeah, that, but it's better, that. and you have to use your brain. Yeah, that's yeah. If you, especially if you like role play games, and you're just like, man, I feel really disappointed with the fact that, like, you know, Dragon Age Inquisition didn't let me do this, that, or the other thing, and I felt very limited by it. It's like, well, um, you know, you probably can't get that in a video game, but if you get a group of friends together, you can get that at the tabletop, right? Like, just do absolutely, just do Dragon Age Inquisition, just tabletop with your buddies. Uh, I'll bet you there's already a module for it. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Uh, you don't even have to write it yourself. Uh, you know, it's 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 it's, it's good stuff um, because video games will not come close to it. No. Even ones that like you know uh, you know sacrifice certain things like graphical fidelity or you know fully voiced you know even those that sacrifice that to give more room for character writing uh, and story writing and other things like they're still not going to be able to approach the experience of being able to role play like that. Or if you don't like people and you don't want to get together with people, you can write a book. <laughs> that too. There you go. Uh, that too. Uh, you know, and that's like. That's a lot of work. Uh, can speak from experience. That That's definitely not for everybody. Uh, but if you're frustrated enough with a story, maybe you want to do that instead. Uh, <laughs> just be like, you know what? You know what? I can write Skyrim better. Then you could just, you know, t- do that and uh, write your version of Skyrim. My version will probably never see the light of day. So you just uh, have fun. You do that. <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of the one of the main points that I want to get across is, yes, there's going to be constraints. And I feel like yeah. Oblivion and Skyrim tried to ignore those, whereas Morrowind embraced yeah. it. Yeah. Like the reason yeah. why you get assaulted with all of the qu- side quests is because you had a draw distance of 120 feet or something like that. Those constraints were acknowledged and embraced in the design, and Oblivion and Skyrim were chasing fads more than embracing their constraints. Mm -hmm. And that's why they don't feel as good as Morrowind to me. With the exception of combat. I I think that's fair. Combat in Oblivion feels far better. (laughs) Gotta say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and the way that they did the magic system in Skyrim is also better and feels more intuitive uh, for, you know, a world in which magic exists. Uh, Yes, agree. (laughs) I love Morrowind, but boy, the combat's a little bit... It's something else. It's not great. Uh, It's oof. Though, (laughs) and and no no more, though I have to say, as far as magic is concerned, it's very sad that there's no more levitation after, after Morrowind. I understand why. Uh, I completely understand why there isn't, because when you have, uh, you know, loading zones to go into towns, you can't, you know, it would be, like, the worst to just have someone fly into town. And it's just, like, it's not loaded yet, though. <laughs> you, you gotta uh, stop. Totally get it. stop. No climbing walls. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, quit doing that. Um, I, I get it, but it's very sad, because levitation was, like, 
So cool. <laughs> Just being able to fly around and see the land from a bird's eye view, get attacked by cliff, cliff racers in the middle of the air, well, you know, and then the spell goes out and then you try and cast it again and then it fails and you go, well, hello, ground. <laughs> You're ground. I'm going to call you ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it, that Oblivion and Skyrim were, were chasing fads, chasing ideas rather than uh, working with the constraints to make something really unique, I guess, is uh, the way I'd put it. Which, I mean, they're unique in their own special way, but they're... I think there are better examples of open world RPGs, I think, that do a little bit more working around the constraints or, you know, have better writing, <laughs> in my opinion. In my opinion, <laughs> you may disagree. But this has been this has been an advertisement for tabletop RPGs. Uh, find one you like and go play it with your friends. Highly recommend Dun <laughs> uh, Dungeon World, but <laughs> Dungeon World is great. Uh, very cool. Never played that one. Uh, it's fun. If we're gonna do a tabletop podcast, we're gonna have to talk about it for a long time. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And I think we should have that conversation. That would be cool. Not on this but... one. <laughs> Yeah. No. Yep. Even though we kind of yeah, already well. did. Yeah. Well, we yeah, it, was, it was related to the topic. We, we, we put the scene what we're going to talk about later. Yes. There we go. Uh, but yeah, is any other comments in the context, to Morrowind in context of Oblivion Skyrim or any other RPGs of the time or that came after? I mean, it, Morrowind ended up being in that magical confluence of having just enough visual fidelity in a style that's still somewhat palatable and still came with a good story. Like that's almost lightning in a bottle in terms of like what you get out of a good game. Right. And I, I feel like if you look at the context of the stories that are told before and after, it just doesn't quite hit the same, at least for me, it's a magical game. And I think that it deserves the attention that it has, and in my opinion, maybe more. I agree. My first playthrough of Morrowind was like one of the first games of, well, I didn't even fully play it through, but it was one of the first games I jumped in where it felt like I was actually in a part of a world that I was like participating in. I think Oblivion sort of turned into like this big, bland, tan world of, of constant the same for me, and Skyrim turned into a big gray world of... <laughs> Not much going on and being somewhat bored most of the time. There's some kind of a magic lightning in a bottle that Morrowind has that the other games, while good, just they never quite caught the same feeling. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, thank you for sticking with us this long. Chandler, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter as at JC Siron, S-I-R-R-O-N. Um, I usually just talk about game design or other game-related things that I find funny. Um, if you want us to talk about any specific game that you think we would get a kick out of or have a really strong opinion one way or another about, reach out to me there and we'll, we'll figure it out. All right. And I guess I should go. <laughs> so yes. I, I zoned out there for a second. <laughs> If you are looking for you know, more content from me, you can find me at uh, Vintage and Voltage on Instagram, where I specialize on with like e-bikes, car audio, and uh, just car stuff. 
and kind of the same deal on YouTube. It's also vintage and voltage, except it's youtube.com slash T-O-M-A-K-Z-E if you want to find it directly. Okay, I guess that means it's my turn. <laughs> We're real good at this. We are so good at this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm really good at, like, you know, queuing people in, including myself. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram. I am at M-E-R-E-W-Y-R-D, Meriwerg. Uh, my hiatus continues, but if you uh, want to tell me how much you'd love to hear us talk about uh, Tribunal, Blood Moon, or heck, if you didn't get enough of my opinions about Oblivion and Skyrim in this one, and you're like, you should just like do a whole deep dive, uh, you should definitely tell me that. Uh, and I will definitely like just tell Chandler, like, hey, guess what we're doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but probably it's better to, to message him on it, since he's he's a fearless leader. I am only filling in. But yeah. Thank you for joining us for this lovely chat, uh, and we hope to see you in the next one. We have been the Adventure Mechanics. I'm Devin. I'm Chandler. And I'm Tom. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>